Hey, this is Pastor Ali, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date with Bold Church, if you want to find out when our next gathering is or how to live stream an event, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Come on now. Anyone excited for God's word today? Come on. We have not met. My name is Ali and my beautiful wife and I, we started this crazy place called Bold five years ago. It's crazy because in six weeks, we will be six. And I'm going to show you some pictures of where we were during COVID and you are going to, you're going to understand why I was in depression for two years. Uh, and it's, this is a miracle building. Some of you are new and you're walking in. Listen, we used to have two 25-foot trailers. We'd show up at 7 a.m. We wouldn't leave till 2 o'clock. It was crazy. And now we are, I'm at home drinking a margarita, virgin of course, <laughs> at 2 o'clock. It's just crazy where God has taken us. And to say we're almost 6 is the wildest thing to me in the world. Anyone excited for church? Come on. It's so crazy. <laughs> crazy. And uh, we are in a collection of talks called The Seven. I just thought, you know, we're five years old. We're mature enough to read the book of Revelations. Some of you don't think so. That's okay. We love you. Uh, but anyone blessed by this collection of talks? Anyone encouraged? I've got so much positive feedback, and the haters you're always going to hate. We love you too, but it's not only a prophetic message, it is a practical message. And uh, we're going to, if you have your notebook that we've been, we gave out a couple weeks ago, it's page 16. We are in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. One more week for all the haters in the house. One more week. But we got the Church of Philadelphia. To the angel of the Church of Philadelphia. Someone say Philadelphia. Philadelphia. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door. Someone say open door. That no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, that you have... Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. We've been waiting for 2,000 years. Soon is very different for Jesus. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, if you, you're new, this is going to sound very awkward, but every week for the last seven weeks, we've been trying to make this collection of talks memorable. So every week we have a theme song. This week we got a good one. Can we play the theme song for today? If you know, you know. The title of today's talk is simply this, Opportunity Knocks. Turn to your neighbor and say, Opportunity Knocks. Now, you're in church, and even though God didn't abandon you, you abandoned the other person that you didn't say that to. So we say it to turn to the other side and say, Opportunity Knocks for you too. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, God, that your word is living and active, God. doesn't matter if we read the first book of the Bible or the last, you're still speaking, Lord. 
God, would you speak to us this morning? We, we may have come in one way, Jesus, but we want to walk out another. We want to lo- talk like you, look like you, love like you. We want to be more like you. And if you believe that, everybody said? Amen. Come on, can we give up? Everybody said? Amen. Can we just give Jesus a round of applause? Come on. Now, if you're just new and joining us, let me just tell you, this is just a prophetic word to some random church. Let me show this map. These are real churches. This is Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And every week for the last seven weeks, we've been walking through these seven churches. Today is the church of Philadelphia. Someone say Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Now, if you know, the Philadelphia means the, the city of brotherly love. Let me tell you the story behind that. There was this king who loved his brother very, very much. And many people don't know this, but there are four words in Greek for love. Our Bible may only have one word, but there's actually four different Greek words. There's eros, which is the love between you and your spouse. And there's agape, the love that God gives us unconditionally. There's phileo between two brothers, like brotherly love. And then there's, the, there's a strat. It's like the love between family members. And there was this king who really loved his brother. And guess what his brother's name was? Delphia. So they literally named the city Phileo Delphia, city of brotherly love. And they're very creative with their name calling. And uh, Philadelphia is the smallest of the seven churches. They are not only small numerically, they are the poorest, least influential church. And yet they're facing the most persecution. And uh, every week for the last seven weeks, Jesus has been has been speaking to these churches. And if you're just joining us, don't worry. You only missed the last six weeks. It's okay. <laughs> Let me kind of catch you up. The first church that we studied was the church of Ephesus. Someone say Ephesus. And this church has a lot of activity. They have good doctrine. They go to church every week, but they don't have love. And we talked about how they have lost that love and feeling. And that was the song, by the way. And uh, it's easy to, to come to church, to play church. But if you don't have the love of God in your heart, you're just a clinging symbol, God says. And uh, you can have faith to move mountains, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. And the second week, we studied the church of Smyrna. Someone say Smyrna. Smyrna. That was a church that was under pressure. David Bowie, under pressure. And uh, often, what we don't realize is, is we have, when we face pressure, we, we want to relieve the pressure by denying Jesus, by running and hiding. And Jesus says, man, if you don't deny me, you won't die that second death. And if you're born once, you die twice, Jesus says. But if you're born twice, you only die once. It's that eternal death that we should all fear. Not, not our persecutors, but, but Jesus. And week three, we studied the church of Pergamum. And I needed a fake musician. So it was either Taylor Swift or Weird Al. And I went with Weird Al. Because I didn't want to be rided by this church. Come on. Ha ha. That's true. It's true. And Jesus taught us that week that if Satan can't curse you, he'll corrupt you. And often we, we, we look like a Christian, we talk like a Christian, but we ain't really walking with Christ. And that's what Weird Al is. He's, he's this fake musician, and, and deception isn't something that happens from the outside in. It's from the inside out. And then in week four, we talked about Thyatira. Someone say Thyatira. Thyatira. And this is the church that is Milli Vanilli Christianity. If you don't know who Milli Vanilli is, they lip-synced all of their songs. They're not even real. And it's this idea that there's this fake, compromised Christianity. We're just going through the motions, but you're, out, you're, you're physically present, but you're, you're mentally and emotionally gone. And then last week was the church of Sardis, and we, we sang the great theologian George Michael Wham. Wake me up before you go-go, because that church, they were dead. They weren't even alive. They, they, they would come to church, but they weren't even praying to God. And 
Today, you got to realize that Jesus is speaking to a church, and if you don't understand the context of where we've been the last six weeks, you won't understand his words. Because every week, Jesus is a good parent. He's the greatest leader who ever lived. Before he corrects you, he connects with you. Some of you are lead team. Some of you are a parent. Before you correct your kid, before you correct your kid, you got to say one good thing. And Jesus, he does that every single week, he do, except for last week. The church of Sardis, he just goes off on them and says nothing positive. The opposite, though, is true for the church of Philadelphia. He says nothing wrong. And the, the picture that God is trying to tell you is that there are no perfect churches, but there are churches that please God. There are churches that they have the, the money. Look at the, how, I think we have the ugliest building in San Jose. Come on. I just have a feeling that if God were to write us a letter, we would be the church of Philadelphia. We may not be small in number. We may not have a lot of money, but God is pleased with us. Amen? And God wants to speak a prophetic message. That, that isn't just for them. It's for us today because opportunity knocks. Someone say, opportunity knocks. <laughs> Revelation chapter 3, Jesus begins every week with a different salutation. And verse 8 says this, to the angel of the church of Philadelphia. These are the words of him who is holy. Someone say holy. holy. And true. Holy means to be consecrated, to be set apart. And Jesus isn't just a good teacher or a holy man or just another prophet and religious person. He's in a category all by himself. God. He's better than Krishna. He's better than Buddha. He's better than any Deepak Chopra that you could think of. Because those men are good, but Jesus is God. And he's saying, I'm different. But not just that, he says, I'm true. Someone say true. true. And there are two Greek words for true. One is the word altheus, which means a statement is true. This word is the word that Jesus uses. It's the althenos. Althenos. And this word means it's something by its nature that is real and genuine. We live in a culture where everyone wants to tell you how to raise your kids. Everyone wants to tell you, this is how you do sex, this is how you do life, this is how you raise your family, and everyone has an opinion, and Jesus is like, bro, I'm the one that created the family. I'm the one that gave you the ability to make children. I'm the real one. I'm the, learn from me. This is why when you want to learn what counterfeit money is, you don't actually touch counterfeat money. Before there was the pen that would tell you if a $100 bill was real or not, the government would spend months, weeks, touching, feeling, being accommodated with the real thing. Because they wanted to learn what is true versus what is fake. And the way you do that is by, not by learning what isn't real, by spending time with what is real. And then when that fake $20 bill, that fake Benjamin came on your lap, you'd know instantly. And that's what Jesus is saying. How can you tell the difference between what's true and what's not if you don't spend time with me? Every week someone says, Pastor Allie, why do you always make fun of the Lakers? I go, clearly you don't spend time with Jesus. Because if you did, you know. You don't know what's real. Just trying to make sure you're paying attention. And this is why... You may go to a church that gives you three ways to have the best life. Just do, do follow these steps and, and you'll get exactly what you want. But we preach this. This is 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2. It says, among nothing except Christ and him crucified. We have one message, Jesus. Is your marriage broken? Jesus. Is your family falling apart? Jesus. Are you addicted? Jesus. Are you depressed? Jesus. We got one message. And he's the only one that's holy and true. Amen. We preach one thing, Jesus, and Jesus is about to give this church an encouragement. 
And every week I've been kind of teaching. Today the tone and the attitude is different. I want to preach today. I want to get a little hyped. I want to get a little excited. Why? Because this is the only church, listen, that they get no correction. Jesus just comes after them and hypes them up. It's like, dude, this is the smallest, poorest church, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about the size of your church, it's about the size of your obedience. God wants to encourage this church. I want to encourage Bold today because we just went through two years of hell. I'm telling you, the best days are ahead of us. Amen? And watch this word that Jesus wants to give this church. It's a promise. To the angel of the church of Philadelphia, write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. Someone say the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. What you don't realize is Jesus is actually quoting a verse from the Old Testament. There's a story in the book of Isaiah about the king named Hezekiah. Hezekiah uh, isn't just the name of our kids' director. Come on, little baby Hezi, the miracle baby of our church. But he's also one of the most righteous kings in the Old Testament. And this dude has got two servants that lead underneath him. One is a guy named Shebna, and another guy is Eliakim. And one is this, like, thief constantly stealing and putting stuff in his pocket, and no one knows for years but God sees it. I want to encourage some of you who are silently cheating on your taxes, you know, silently doing things that no man may not see, but God always sees. And in Isaiah chapter 22, let me read this verse. God shows up and rebukes this thief. He says, in that day, I will summon my servant Eliakim. Someone say Eliakim, son of Helkiah, I will clothe him with your robe. He's speaking to the thief Shebna. I will clothe him with your robe and fasten your sash around him. And the hand and the hand of authority and sorry, let me start over. And fasten your sash around him and hand your authority over to him. He will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and to the people of Judah. I will place on his shoulder the key. There it is. To the house of David. Now watch this verse. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I will drive him like a peg into a firm place. He will become a seat of honor for the house of his father. What is this key? It's the key of authority. It's the master key. And this is literally the gospel. If you're new to Christianity and wondering why we come to church, there's no one in this room that's good. Everyone in this room is ratchet. Let me just tell you right now, okay? There's, there's, one, there's one Eliakim, and it ain't me it ain't Pastor Yaz. It ain't, it's nobody. It's Jesus. And Jesus is the true and better alike him. He's the only one that's faithful. He's the only one that's good. And too often, we discredit how evil, how wicked we are. We don't talk about our pride. We don't talk about our stubbornness. And all of us have fallen short. And the, that, that, that's only half the gospel. If we would just stop there and just beat you down with the truth, why would you come back? The good news is, though, is Jesus is a better alike him. Because we're like him, got all the blessing, and Shebna was cast away. Jesus comes to us. People were unworthy. He says, I want to give you the blessing of my life. God is the better alike because he died in the place of us Shebnas, and then he gives us the blessing of Eliakim. Anybody grateful for Jesus? That's the gospel. And Jesus is saying, I, t- I defeated death. I defeated Satan. Satan is so broke, he doesn't have the keys to his house anymore. Come on. That's how good Jesus got this. And he comes, and he wants to give them a promise. And here is the promise. It's twofold. Number one is this. If God closes the door, no one can open it. Notice how no one said amen. Oh, I want that, pastor. You're crazy. No one wants that. 
but I've just learned the hard way. I only want what God wants for me. If you doubt the goodness of God, if you doubt that he wants better for you than you want for yourself, let me give you some advice. Go to your high school yearbook. Look at all the girls that you had crushes on. That you beg God, please. Then go to Facebook. And then fall to your knees in prayer. My God is an awesome God. Thank you, Jesus. You saved me? You, you, you. It takes maturity to realize when God closes the door, it's because he wants best for you. And too often we go to the door and we try forcing it. And whenever you have to force something with your flesh, you have to sustain it with your flesh. And this is where you, you force a door open, but you got to give up your purity. you got to force a career open, but you got to lie to get it. you got to force something open, but you have to give up something to get that thing. And God says, let me open the door. Let, let, let me do it for you. And too often we struggle with God. Listen, some of you, God has closed that door. It's a relationship. It's a career. And you're fighting God. He closed it for a reason. It takes maturity. Instead of getting angry, you praise God for the closed door. I wrote like this, until God opens the next door, praise him in the hallway. Go to this door, it ain't open. Because it's easy to open the door, to praise God after he opens the door. Let me make this practical. Some of you are in a broken marriage right now. And every week you come to church, it's like, how are you? Blessed and highly favored the Lord, how are you? <laughs> but secretly you're depressed. Secretly you're contemplating divorce, separation. And every week you're praying, God, when are you going to change this woman? God, when are you going to change my husband? And he is coming. And he will change it. But will you only praise him after the door opens? Or will you praise him now when he's worthy? See, one is based on facts. The door is open. One is based on faith. I don't see it, but I believe it. Let me, let me bring you this. I had to learn this principle. And if there's one principle I want you to know is this. God is faithful and he's worthy. If you want to see what God sees, you know what you got to do? you got to close your eyes. Let me show you this, this picture if I can. Here it is. Look how long and demonic this list is. Keep going down. This, it was, we were two years old when the pandemic hit. We were running 200 people. We went from 8 to 200 in less than two years. This was a miracle church. And then COVID happened. And every church in this valley had to go online. Netflix church. It's true. It looks like a fire. Sounds like a fire, but it had no heat. And then in 2021, COVID ended and everyone started coming back to church. And the location where we used to meet was no longer available. So we had to do church at 5 o'clock. And one thing, if you're new here, God gives us a prophetic word for every year. When you saw the sticker outside, it says word and spirit. That's the prophetic word for this year. That year, when I was at a close, I think it was 94, 95 of these closed doors, there was this door, and I said, God, if you don't open this door, we are going to die. And I remember God says, I'm not done. And so that year, what we did by faith is we're going to sing a song to the goodness of God, even though the door is closed. That song wasn't for you, by the way. That song was for me. Because I needed to learn, when the door is closed, will I praise him in the hallway? 
And anyone can praise God after he heals your marriage. Can you praise him now? Can you do it now? And some of you, you're, you're, God is good in the brokenness when he's healing it and after. But the question is, will you declare the goodness of God now? Because when God closes the door, it's for your benefit. And when he closes it, you can't open it. And there's this other truth. It's this. When God opens a door, when God opens a door, no one can shut it. Maybe it'll come up. Maybe it won't. When God opens the door, no one can shut it. When God opens it, no one can shut it. Look at this, this next verse. Revelation chapter 3. I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door. Someone say open door. Open door. Q M. There's an opportunity. And it comes once in a lifetime. And God didn't send you to this valley to make money. There's a higher calling than a 401k. There's a higher calling than just being a director at whatever company you work for. There's a purpose. This church is small. This church is weak. And God says, I know what you're going through. There's an open door. And I want to prophetically declare there's an open door of this church. God opened that door to this building for a reason. You have an open door. Someone say open door. So that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength. Someone say little strength. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. We serve a God who closes doors, and listen, we serve a God who opens doors. And you are standing in a declaration of faith. For a year we declared God's not done, and now we have the ugliest building in San Jose. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. And this is where it gives some of you hope. Maybe your marriage is broken. Maybe you're unemployed right now. Maybe your finances are not where they should be. And I want to encourage you, you can praise God now. God, God will open doors. And the, the key that you got to understand, he opens the door and you obey. It doesn't say, I kick the door down. I, I need this door. As if he's Burger King. I, you get it your way. No, he's the king of kings. I wrote it like this. God opens and we obey. Sometimes it's the opposite. I go to the door and say, God, do you know who I am? Do you know how many times I come to church? Do you know how many times I read the Bible? Open this door. We apply to a job and we want it the next day. We, we hang out with a girl. When, when, when am I going to get married? We go to growth track and God, give me a mic. It's time for me to be in leadership. Are you kidding me? God opens the door and he opens it when you're ready. You know why God didn't give us this building? Because I wasn't ready. I wonder why you're still unemployed. Is it because God is enabled or because maybe you're prideful? Maybe the reason why you don't have a relationship is because you're, forgive my language, you're still selfish. God is a good dad. He wants to bless you more than you want that blessing. And he opens the door when you're ready. Not when you deserve it. Because you and I, we never deserve it. That's the story of Eliakim. He goes, I did all the work for you to get the, the keys of heaven, the key of David. You don't need to earn, work, or kick the door down. You need to have faith in Jesus. And I, Jesus wants to give you this promise. I know that you have little strength. Someone say little strength. Theologians say that Philadelphia is the smallest of the seven churches. They are financially the weakest of the seven. The church we studied last week, Sardis, is the wealthiest church, but they're dead. And I love that God does not look at the outside. Because if he did, he'd be like, I'm not stopping at this church. This has the ugliest pain in the <laughs> landscaping is dying. The... That's why we turn the lights off, so you can't see all the imperfections in this room. Just being honest. But it's not about the size of your church, it's about the size of your obedience. 
Some of you, you're standing in a broken marriage and wondering, God, what do I got to do to earn this? You're standing in a broken finances. God, how come I don't have it yet? And it's not about your strength and your size, but his strength and his size. And God looks at the heart. Someone say the heart. Not the external. Man will judge us by the clothes we wear and the size of the church. We're like, oh my gosh, that church has 10,000 people. They must be doing something right. And God looks at the church with this church, maybe 50 people, and he has no rebuke for them. Because it has nothing to do with those things. And I love that. I wrote like this, your little power does not stop his big promise. I had to learn that the hard way. Now show the picture at 5 o'clock where I was depressed. Look at this. Looks like everyone's farting and they can't sit next to each other. Look at this. I said it. There's like, for a year and a half, 18 months, we were at 40 people. Maybe 50, 60. The moment we come to this building, we literally doubled in six months. Imagine, I'm at this door, knocking on not nine doors, 90 doors. Not for a few weeks, for 18 months. Saying, God, if you don't open this door, we're going to die. And sometimes we treat God like a pinata and prayer as a stick. Say, God, I know what's best. Open the door. And then you look at your strength, what you can do, what you can't do. I don't have the money to open this door. I don't have the strength to kick it down. And you think your little power determines his strength. It has nothing to do with that. If you want to see what God sees, I had to learn this principle. You close your eyes. And say, God, I want to have faith. Someone say faith. Because faith. faith doesn't look at the facts. And this church that is the weakest, smallest church is about to do something that is supernatural. They're about to influence the hardest city in all of Asia Minor. This open door that Jesus keeps talking about is the door of evangelism. Because you have to understand, Philadelphia has more false temples than any other city. It's like a smorespoke, a jambalaya, if you will, of false temples, of false gods. And God's like, I know you're the smallest church of all the seven churches. I know you, got, you don't have the money. And that's exactly why I want all the glory. Because I'm going to do something in that city that no one will get. Because when they see how small and weak you are, they're like, Psh, how do they do it? And I'm trying to tell you over bold church, that church is going to shake this valley. I'm telling you it's coming. Let me tell you why. Watch the statistics. 96% to 98% of the Bay Area is unchurched. It's the highest in the country. The highest in the country. Next statistics. 25% of Christians decreased in believing that, in no longer believing that they, it's their responsibility to share their faith. Why? Because 29% of people believe it's now the responsibility of the church. One thing that this church does is I push you till your butt cheeks clench and you get uncomfortable. That's for your goodness and God's glory. Amen? I want to show you a picture of one of the people that realize there's an open door of opportunity in the church. Anybody remember Will? Someone say, come on. His nickname in our church was Will of God, by the way. That's, uh, and back in 2017, when we were literally eight people, he was the third person that I invited on the, on the launch team. I remember sitting down with him at Starbucks and said, I need you, Will, to help me plant this church. And he looked at me, he's like, look, your wife's not here, my wife's not here, let's be real. And he leaned in, he's like, I don't know the Bible, I don't read the, I haven't been in church in two years, I'm the least likely person to be used by God. And I said, no, you're the best person to be used by God. 
And this man, for six months, would come to our launch team meetings and just sit in the back of the room with his arms crossed and just like, kind of like take it all in. Quiet will, the will of God. And then two weeks before we launched our church, we printed 500 invite cards. We didn't have a lot of money. We still don't have a lot of money. And I said, listen, there's probably five people in your life that God gave you an open door to. If you invite all five, let's pray for one of those five to come to church. So everyone would grab five invite cards, and will of God, he took a hundred. I said, bro, these cost money. We don't have that much. He goes, I got a plan. And I didn't know exactly what Will's job was. I knew where he worked. Will worked at UPS. I thought he was a driver. Turns out he was the guy that would load the trucks the night before for the drivers to come at 4 a.m. On the day of our grand opening, 30 of Will's employees came to church. And I remember he was standing in the lobby surrounded by 30 of his coworkers. Two of them accepted Christ. One of them got, it's just a miracle. This guy who said, God can't use me, is the Billy Graham of our church. <laughs> I said, well, how did you, how'd you do it? He goes, for two weeks straight, in the visor of every car, I would put an invite. So all 200 of the UPS drivers in San Jose, they got invited every day to this church. God wants to use you. Let me tell you one more story. This is uh, our one and only Dagoberto. Anybody know Dagoberto? Come on. The guy in the middle with his arms crossed, he's in pharmaceutical sales. That's, that's another fancy way of saying it. I can't say it. He's, he's in... If you can't tell, Dago is Hispanic. I know it's hard to tell. But the reason why I say this is his brother is Muslim. How does a Mexican become a Muslim? That's like, that's like saying Laker fans are godly people. That's like, what? Like, how does that? And obviously there's church hurt. Obviously this Dago's whole family is either Catholic or Christian. And this one brother doesn't want anything to do with it. And, he, he, and for many years, there, this relationship was strange. And Dago, five years ago, came to this church with his arms crossed because his wife invited him came with a fizz face, you know, just upset. And God not only saved him, but saved his marriage, redeemed his family. And then Dago began to pray for his brother. Every time Dago and I would meet over the next five years, we'd pray for his brother. My brother's here. He's in Sacramento. Now he's in L.A. One time his brother even OD'd. Three or four weeks ago, Dago, his eight- or nine-year-old daughter, Mila, got baptized. Anyone remember that day? Powerful day. Enrique, the guy in pharmaceutical sales, was supposed to show up on that day, but he missed it. And Dago went to lunch, not wanting to lose this opportunity. He, there was an open door. Someone say open door. open door. And he shared his faith again, even though he had been rejected every time he met with his brother for five years. And that Sunday at lunch, his brother accepted Christ. This is Wednesday after he's at Bible study. The following Sunday, he sat front row taking notes. Some of you, you don't even, you've been here five years, you don't take notes. I wrote like this, receiving a miracle is cool. Being one is even better. Being one is even better. And I want to encourage some of you. If you're part of this church, God wants to use you. God's going to save you, either your, your spouse, your brother, 
I don't care who they are. I don't care how far they are from God. There's an open door over this church because God has power to save anyone. Amen? The question is, will you allow God to use you? Revelation chapter 3, this is the, it ends with these three promises. 3 verse 9, if I get the, the worship team to come up. I will make those who are synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. The first promise that Jesus gives is justice. Someone say justice. justice. So easy. When someone cuts you off on the highway, someone you know cuts in line at, at, at work or Someone takes advantage of you to want revenge. No one likes to be bullied. And imagine this church. They're being persecuted. They're being attacked. Not, this is not like online persecution with trolls. These people are being thrown in prison. And Jesus is saying, don't fight back. Let me defend you. You know what? how God uses it? He says, vengeance is mine. I want to show you this picture. Anyone here have kids? Anyone? ever hear their kids being bullied at school, that anger that rises up in you? That's the anger that God feels. God wants to show you this picture of him showing up to the playground saying, this is my kid. You're messing with him, you're messing with me. Some of you need to have that faith that God sees your boss mistreating you. God sees your spouse that you're loving and serving and they don't love you back. It's not up to you to be on the judgment seat. Let God be God. Let him open the door. You obey. Second promise, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, someone say patiently, I have also kept you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Second promise that Jesus gives to close is protection. Someone say protection. Now, many theologians don't know if this is a a word just for Philadelphia, or this is an eschatological word for all of the churches in all times. And the book of Revelations is prophetic. It's a, it's a now verse. It's also a tomorrow. This is not only true for Philadelphia, it's for, true for bold and every church that comes after us. That there will always be persecution. In every generation, there are Christians persecuted for their faith. And if you don't quit, God will give you a crown. Don't quit. Don't stop sharing your faith. Doggo did it for five years. Five years of no until his brother finally said yes. I want to encourage some of you. You're so intimidated by your coworker, what they might think. You may be the only Christian they ever meet. And God did not open that door at Google or Facebook or it's called Meta now just to make money. But be a light to have an open door for him. Queen Elizabeth She died about a year ago, and she was famously quoted for saying, I want Jesus to come back in my lifetime. So I want the whole world to see when I take off my crown, I can throw it at his feet. Because he's the real king of kings. The third promise is this. Revelation 3, verse 12. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven and from my God. And I will also write on them a new name. See, in that culture, Philadelphia was an outpost, or it was an outpost for all things Rome. Roman theology, Roman doctrine, Roman lifestyle. This was like the headquarter. And, and, And in that city, if you were a 
a good Roman citizen, a good Philadelphian, they would put your name on a temple at one false god that you would worship. But what most people don't realize is no one actually slept in Philadelphia. You worked there, you went to school there, you had your job there, you went to church there, but you actually slept outside the city because there were constant earthquakes and tremors. And because the whole city was, had no solid foundation, you might die in the middle of the night. And so this temple that, that the city would promise, if you are a good citizen, we'll put your name on a temple, it may be gone the next week. It may be gone the next year. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Their temple may fall down. Mine will never fall down. Theirs is temporary. Mine is eternal. And they may give you a name, but listen, the third one is this. The third promise is identity. Someone say identity. I want to give you an identity. That's why Jesus, he takes Abram, turns into Abraham, Sarai into Sarah, Jacob the deceiver into Israel, Laker fans into warrior fans. Come on. Had to throw it out there. Took Simon and turned him into Peter. Paul the Christian killer into Paul the apostle, the greatest Christian who ever lived. You were once dead and now you're alive. You were once condemned and now you're blessed. You were, no, you were once guilty and now you're forgiven. You were once a slave to sin and now you're a son of the king of kings. God is still giving new identity, amen? And it ends with this last verse, Revelation 3. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's so easy to look at the 96 to 98% unchurched. It's so easy to look at that picture of like, oh my gosh, you're so small. And think that because we're small, God is small. Let me read you this quote from a, a professor at UC Berkeley. He studied Christianity in Japan. He said, we should not underestimate the significance of a small group of people who have a vision of a just and gentle world. In Japan, a very small minority of Protestant Christians introduced ethics into politics. It had an impact beyond all proportion to their numbers. There's 1% Christian in, in Japan. They were central to the beginning of women's movement, labor unions, and virtually every reform movement. The quality of culture may be changed when 2% of its people have a new vision. So when you tell me we're the most unchurched, I go, we got, we got 4%. We got two more than we need. We got two more than we need. I'm prophesying. If we, if we embrace this open door, I promise you, like Will, like Doggo, there's someone in your life that God wants sitting next to you next year. My promise is may not, we may not paint the building. We may not come out with a brand new album or anything. We may not change the landscape. But if you let God use this open opportunity, there's this grace on this church. He will save your family. He will save your coworkers. And he will save your neighbors. With every eye closed and every head bowed, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus that every church you had a, a word of correction for. But the church of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, God, you, you just had encouragement. It had nothing to do with their size or their strength, but their obedience. God, may, me, may we be a church that doesn't look to the aesthetics of this building, but the obedience in our heart. God, I pray for every family member, every parent, every brother, every cousin, every neighbor, every classmate that doesn't know you, Jesus. God, we pray that you would give us the opportunity to share our faith to them. God, we, we just want to bring you glory. 
And God, sometimes we look at the impossibleness of family members being saved. But God, burn eternity into our hearts that we may not work forever, we may not be in this valley forever, but we want to live for you forever. I pray, God, for this calling, not just to follow you, but to make disciples. Not just to be one, but to help others become one as well. With every eye closed and every head bowed. The, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is that all of us fall short. The reality is all of us are Shebna, the lying, stealing thief that worked for Hezekiah. And the good news of Christianity deserves one who sees all the mistakes we make and loves us anyways. You and I are more evil than we give ourselves credit for, but the good news of the gospel is we're more loved than we could ever imagine. And this God, he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for us. That's the gospel. That's the good news. You don't need to do anything. You just need to place your faith in him, the living one, who died on a cross for your sin and who resurrected, defeating death, Satan, and hell. And I want to give you an opportunity to start a relationship. Not go to a building, not do religious activities, to start a relationship with the living God. That's you. I want to count to three. I want you to shoot your hand up with every eye closed and every head bowed. One, two, three. If that's you, just shoot your hand up. If that's you, just shoot your hand up. Amen. I see your hand over there. I want everyone to pray out loud with me. Thank you, Jesus believing heaven for me. I repent. I confess my sin. I have not lived the way you've wanted me to live. Thank you, Jesus, that you died in my place, that you paid my penalty. I want to turn from my sin and follow you. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for a relationship. Thank you that you give me what I don't deserve. As much as I understand now, I want to follow you all the days of my life. Come on, give it up for the hands that went up. Hey, thank you again for listening to today's message. If you found today's sermon encouraging, inspiring, would you consider subscribing to this podcast? That way you won't miss the next word that's coming. See you next time.